And the very first UFO conference I took myself to, and as we're sitting there, some guy down the front goes into uh, some sort of, you know, yeah, to this day, I don't know whether he was hoaxing it or whether it really happened, but he mm. claimed he started channeling a message from an alien being. And it was freaky. His voice wow. changed. The thing that struck me is people were transfixed on him. They were just absorbed. For these people who abandoned traditional religion, shall we say, they're looking at him and saying, what can they tell us? You know, this is like getting yeah. a message from the future. In 1974, astronomers using the enormous bowl-shaped Arecibo radio telescope in Puerto Rico sent a message using some of the most powerful radio signals ever broadcast up into the heavens. The signal was aimed at the great globular cluster of stars Messier 13 in the constellation of Hercules in hopes that one or more of the clusters, some 300,000 suns might be host to a planet or two with intelligent life capable of receiving and understanding the contents of the message. Part of the Arecibo message included a pictogram of DNA. One wonders aloud why we would send an alien race a brief pictorial representation of our genes if they are all, in the words of secular physicist Paul Davies, just, quote, mindless atoms pushing and pulling each other, kicked about by random thermal fluctuations, end quote. After all, as Davies says, DNA is not finally evidence of any kind of intelligence. Quote, there is no orchestrator, no choreographer directing the performance, no esprit de corps, no collective will, no life force, end quote. He says, clearly astronomers at Arecibo thought otherwise, however, for along with DNA, the message also contained, quote, images of the Arecibo telescope, our solar system, a stick figure of a human, and some of the biochemicals of earthly life, end quote. Signs of intelligence or not? Apparently, when scientists and engineers desire to let our potential neighbors in the universe know we are here, they have no reservations about citing DNA as evidence of intelligent life. But posit the idea that DNA is the remarkable needlework of the Lord and Creator of the universe, and instantly all the talk of intelligence and design turns to mush. Our DNA quickly becomes nothing more than an unintended mishmash of chemicals. But this is nothing new. Fallen man has always possessed a tragic and tenacious predilection for suppressing God's truth. The 
The late planetary astronomer, Dr. Carl Sagan, played a part in constructing the Arecibo message, which was chiefly composed by Frank Drake, the creator of the Drake Equation, which attempts to give a rough approximation of just how many advanced civilizations might exist in the universe. Sagan believed that, quote, Today, we are again seeking messages from an ancient and exotic civilization, this time hidden from us not only in time but also in space. If we should receive a radio message from an extraterrestrial civilization, how could it possibly be understood? Extraterrestrial intelligence will be elegant, complex, internally consistent, and utterly alien. Extraterrestrials would, of course, wish to make a message sent to us as comprehensible as possible. But how could they? Is there, in any sense, any interstellar Rosetta Stone? We believe there is. We believe there is a common language that all technical civilizations, no matter how different, must have. That common language is science and mathematics. The laws of nature are the same everywhere. End quote. And it was in 1984 that a nonprofit organization dedicated to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or SETI, was founded in the San Francisco Bay Area. In 2015, SETI became part of the Carl Sagan Institute and remains dedicated to the quest for finding intelligent life in the universe. But so far, no luck. The idea of the existence of highly evolved intelligent alien beings, however, is nothing new. We've been talking about them since time immemorial. As Vatican astronomers Brother Guy Consolmagno and Brother Paul Mueller note in their book, Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial? Quote, The religious believers tend to say that the existence of extraterrestrials would support their religious faith, and the non-believers tend to say just the opposite, that the existence of extraterrestrials would invalidate religious faith. So both believers and non-believers tend to see the existence of E.T., as supporting their respective positions. 19th century believers such as the German theologian Joseph Pohl or the English astronomer John Herschel argued that because God is so overabundant in his creativity, he must have filled the universe with intelligent beings, not just us. On the other hand, Thomas Paine, the guy who wrote Common Sense and the Age of Reason during the American Revolutionary War, mocked Christianity for insisting that either of all the worlds in the universe, God chose to be incarnated only in ours just because, quote, one man and one woman had eaten an apple, end quote, or else that, quote, the person who is irreverently called the Son of God would have nothing else to do than to travel from world to world in an endless succession of death with scarcely a momentary interval of life, end quote. There is nothing on this topic that has been suggested in recent times that hasn't already been discussed, Consolmagno and Mueller say. Ad nauseum, in fact, for hundreds of years. There is nothing new about wondering about aliens and how they fit into our religion. 
After all, we've been telling stories about alien races and non-human creatures since storytelling began. Just look at the monsters in the Odyssey and other Greek legends, end quote. Brother Mueller goes on to say, quote, I want to state with whatever authority I have as a scientist and as one of the official astronomers at the Vatican Observatory, neither I nor anyone I know has any evidence at all that there has ever been any contact of any form between extraterrestrial aliens and Earth, period. I cannot imagine a circumstance where such contact could be kept secret for very long. And I say this not only as an active astronomer for 40 years, but also as someone who knows lots of people in the SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence community, who would love to have such evidence. Just think of the funding they'd get. And I can speak as someone who's been an officer in the American Astronomical Society and the International Astronomical Union. If there were something like this going on, we'd all be talking about it. There isn't, and we aren't. End quote. And then there's the Fermi Paradox, a relatively simple and casual observation made by physicist Enrico Fermi in 1950 over a lunchtime conversation. In a nutshell, Fermi asks, quote, where are they? They should have colonized the Milky Way by now. If they're here, why haven't they visited us? End quote. No one has yet been able to definitively answer Fermi's question. Physicist Paul Davies, nearly echoing the aforementioned sentiments of Thomas Paine, believes that if aliens did show up at some point, that it would be a problem for traditional religions, specifically Christianity. Davies notes, quote, Undoubtedly, the most immediate impact of an alien message would be to shake up the world's faiths. The discovery of any sign that we are not alone in the universe could prove deeply problematic for the main organized religions, which were founded on the pre-scientific era and are based on a view of the cosmos that belongs to a bygone age. End quote. Davies goes on to say that he believes, quote, Christianity is the religion most challenged by the concept of extraterrestrial beings because Christians believe that God became a human being, specifically a Jewish political dissident. Jesus Christ was the savior of Homo sapiens specifically, one planet and one species. The plausibility of such an extraordinarily focused divine mission was much easier to accept when most people believed, as they did two millennia ago, that there was only one Earth— and one intelligent species, when nothing was known of the now-vanished Neanderthals and little thought had been given to the possibility of alien beings on other worlds. End quote. So is extraterrestrial life really a threat to traditional religion, and specifically to Christianity? What about the multitudinous experiences of people who claim to have been visited or abducted by aliens? Why does the sense of evil and fear permeate these stories? How are we to think about the possibility of aliens, extraterrestrials, and life on other worlds in relation to our faith in Jesus? Does E.T. pose a threat to our faith? 
The possibility of life elsewhere in the universe seems to arise from a naturalistic impulse found in the theory of evolution, proposed by Charles Darwin in 1859. If life naturally arose on this planet, certainly it must have arisen on other worlds as well, given the vast number of stars and planets we now know exist in this universe. But a vast number of rooms in a mansion doesn't tell us one way or the other if these rooms have people in them. Neither does the size of a house tell us if there is anyone at home. Yet Darwinian assumptions about the natural, slow, gradual development of biological life have indeed ascended into the heavens. Take, for example, Carl Sagan's widow, Anne Druyan, who has carried on the torch of her husband's legacy. In her 2020 book, Cosmos, Possible Worlds, Druyan refers to Darwin as, quote, the greatest spiritual teacher of the last millennium. It was he who figured out how the palace of life could evolve from a modest one-room structure to an edifice of soaring towers reaching to the stars. And it was he who first glimpsed the secret lives of our fellow earthlings. Are there possible worlds in the cosmos where life's pathways converge and intersect? Are there countless roads in the universe that life can take to wonder and love? End quote. On this two-part episode of Good Heavens, I speak with ufologist Gary Bates, author of Alien Intrusion and CEO of Creation Ministries International, an organization that seeks to understand the heavens and the earth being created by God as revealed in the pages of Scripture. You can find out more about Gary and his work in the link provided in the information below. On these two episodes, Gary offers us his extraordinary insights from decades of research in the areas of UFO and extraterrestrial phenomena and helps us better understand them in light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, welcome to Good Heavens, Gary Bates. You are the CEO of Creation Ministries International. Thank you for joining me this morning all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. You're welcome, Daniel. It's good to talk with, uh, with, with Watchmen. I've uh, been very instrumental to me in my research on the subject we're about to discover. And yes, discuss. that's fantastic. I didn't know until I turned on the microphone that, that your research into UFOs involved the ministry uh, using resources and materials from the ministry for which I worked. That's such a wonderful circle. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, we are going to talk about today... Um, a topic that, that is, it is of great interest, I think, uh, and is on the minds uh, of many people. Uh, Gary has shared with me just before we went on the air here that, uh, that, that, that the idea of UFOs is becoming increasingly uh, the creation narrative for a lot of people who are not Christians. Um, this is not just something that came and went in the 1950s, uh, but it is ever-present in the imaginations and minds of our culture. Is that correct, Gary, as you've seen it in your research? Give us a little bit of background uh, just about how long you've been involved with this, this uh, phenomenon and, and just what you, have, uh, what you have done and what you've learned from it. Well, sure. So I am a former evolutionist and didn't become a Christian until my adult years. 
and I worked as a volunteer for a ministry uh, which I, I now head in the US, Creation Ministries International, and we deal with the creation versus evolution issue. And so when I realized that, you know, what I'd been taught at school, that evolution is not science as you and I commonly understand it. It's not right. testable, repeatable, mm-hmm. you know, a scientific method that people are led to believe when they hear the word science and evolution in the same sentence. And if I could just, you know, preface that, mm-hmm. you know, we find fossils, we find rocks, um, creationists have them too, but our belief about where they came from is exactly that. It's, it's dependent upon our worldview. You cannot test, repeat, observe the idea that humans evolved from ape-like creatures yes, two million a, years ago. It's historical so, science. and it's Exactly. History exactly. is not something you can repeat in a laboratory. Exactly. And yeah. so um, you, we all tend to, and people don't realize that because they only hear one side of the story on the TV. Um, they hear things like, you know, radiometric dating, proving the age of things. That's actually not true either. And so both creation scientists and evolutionary scientists make assumptions about their data and the facts, you know, a fossil is a fact you dig up from the ground today. Mm-hmm. It had a past, but you're not you're digging up the past. Right. And so when I got exposed to the idea that, uh, you know, evolution might not be as cut and dried as uh, many people think it is, uh, I got involved with the ministry and having grown up a young lay science fiction fan, very influenced by some of the powerful movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. As a non-Christian watching those, I realized that they had a transformational and religious effect on me. I mean, you know, if you remember the movie Close Encounters, it was yes. Spielberg's third movie. It was a big one, you know, right after on, on the back of Jaws. Yes. But Richard Dreyfus going off into the spaceship you know, being taken away by some highly evolved, technologically advanced beings to some utopian planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember going home from the drive-ins, if people can remember what they are, <laughs> uh, yes. you know, on a, on a country road after visiting my, you know, uh, my, my girlfriend, later my wife at the time, and thinking, wow, I wish I was him. Yeah. And that's a theme that perpetuates still in most science fiction movies today Um, absolutely it does it does um i just finished reading uh uh book Uh, she is the widow of carl sagan uh it is the companion book to the third version of the cosmos tv series and along the lines of what you just said it perpetuates the mythos of the modern era that uh there are worlds out there and we should explore them uh for possible future habitation for the human species or uh, explore them for highly intelligent uh, to beings that, uh, as you say, uh, given an evolutionary assumption about the cosmos, about biological life, uh, it is a natural logical progression to think that the kind of process that Darwin s- suggested in 1859 probably happened on a planet out there somewhere because there are so many planets and there are so many stars and the universe is so vast that we should be looking for extraterrestrials. We should be looking for aliens. So not only do we have a, as you say, an undercurrent of imaginative science fiction in the movies and the books and television, um, but we also have this undercurrent in the scientific community that is becoming more and more respectable. This idea that was popularized by Carl Sagan in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, 
uh, whose headquarters is in uh, California, I believe, uh, Mountain View. We have a science fiction combined with what seems to be in the minds and imaginations of people, science as well. And so it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a double, you have evolution, you have movies, TV, and imagination, science fiction, and then you have this growing respectable discipline within the sciences of searching for and assuming that there is extraterrestrial intelligence in the universe. Yeah, well, you raised a number of points, and if I could, I could flesh one out, sure, because um, it might might be kind of be lost on folks when we're talking about evolution. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, here on Earth, life life can only arise by one of two mechanisms that either evolved here on the Earth. You know, the first chemicals got together to form the first amino acids, the first proteins, the first cells, and all life has somehow spontaneously arisen from that, or there's a divine supernatural being who brought everything into existence. Now, that's how we could account for life on Earth. But now we're talking about the cosmos. Sagan, who you mentioned, said, you know, in his old uh, TV show, Cosmos, you know, um, uh, a a basically atoms are all there ever are, ever was, or ever will be. Right. And that's a naturalistic approach. So when we look at even science fiction movies today, so even if it's something as benign as Star Wars or Star Trek, the idea that there's all these alien races across the galaxy or the universe with their hyperdrive or warp drive spaceships actually has evolution at its core. And what I mean by that, if the Big Bang is true uh, from the secular naturalistic point of view and life evolved here on the Earth, it must have evolved countless times over in the universe. And mm -hmm. given a 14 billion year old universe, they believe our Milky Way is in a relatively young part of the universe. So there are alien races who've evolved a million or a billion years in advance of human beings. Now, can you imagine if they're a million years advanced in their technology, what that technology would be like, and they've visited the earth, and what has become mainstream science, which you alluded to today, something Darwin never knew about is the complexity of the cell. That's right. When human beings in our DNA, we've got three billion letters imagine stacking a thousand bibles on top of one another and having every letter in just in the right spot by chance <laughs> well i suspect that any microbiologist worth his salt doesn't believe that today mm. but rather than say well the god of the bible might be the creator because that's a loaded <laughs> that's a loaded right. question because then it involves questions of morality and accountability. That's right. Maybe aliens are our creators. And of course, Francis Crick, who won a Nobel Prize for Science along with his colleague, James Watson, yes. over 60 years ago, when they discovered the DNA molecule, he postulated, mind you, he, he admitted one of the reasons he entered the sciences was to disprove the notion of a supernatural creator. So he was an avowed atheist. But he, 60 years ago, said that maybe aliens created life on Earth. And I'll just finish with this mm. in this section, because this is what develops people's worldview. Our worldview, which is a, a buzzword we use all the time, but I, I've kind of likened our worldview can be summed up in those three big questions. Mm -hmm. Where do we come from? You know, why are we here? What's our meaning and purpose to life? What happens to us when we die? And I said the only two games in town are creation evolution. Well, hang on, there might be a third one. But if evolution's true, and you and I just rearrange stardust, there really is no meaning and purpose to life. And when you die, that's it. That's right. If the Bible's true, if God is creator, we were created with meaning and purpose, you know, and the purpose is to get in touch with our creator. And of course, the decisions we make in this life are going to affect where we spend eternity. Absolutely. But hang on. What if aliens are our creators? Mm. 
maybe if they can give us meaning and purpose and tell us why we're here. And that's what the science fiction, uh, sorry, the, uh, the UFO writers, uh, you know, in their contacts with alleged aliens are trying to tell us. And they have stories about people being taken off the earth, particularly Christians getting taken away in beam ships and, uh, mm. and allow Mother Earth to, you know, evolve into her next yeah. descendant state. Yeah. It, it's full of this type of new age stuff. So, so ufology and with evolution and the idea that older, wiser aliens created life on Earth has become a substitute religion. And, and of course, we, you know, I fleshed that out in my book, Alien Intrusion, and then, of course, in the movie, uh, which we were discussing that you saw a couple of years ago uh, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, it, it is phenomenal. And just uh, not not too long ago, a uh, cosmologist, a very respected cosmologist who is widely published in the popular realm and, and, and professionally as well, uh, Dr. Sean Carroll, uh, was discussing uh, with uh, MIT, uh, he's a physicist, I think, or he's a theoretical cosmologist at MIT, Max Tegmark, who has also written a book called uh, The Mathematical Universe. And uh, Sean and Max were discussing the idea of the universe being a computer simulation. Um, And it wasn't like, ha, 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 this is kind of funny. It's like they, in the discussion, though they didn't specifically do it, they were conceding design by likening the universe to a computer simulation. But the idea in Sean Carroll's mind, basically, he's just come out with a book um, called uh, Hidden Reality. And he has... uh, admitted and come out and said he's a he's a supporter of of the many worlds hypothesis in cosmology which basically says if you do the numbers right uh what we actually have are multiple universes multiple worlds it's uh, everett from the 1950s 1960s when all the ufo craze was sort of happening everett was postulating through quantum mechanics that there are innumerable other possible worlds and that Carol's conclusion, and this is a book published here in 2020, Carol's conclusion is that, that our, the, the multiple worlds are populated with our yeah. doppelgangers. Yeah. Um, so not only do you have, it's another, it's another thing that's coming into the popular imagination to get around God, you have to postulate an untold multitude of human doppelgangers in yes. inhabiting the universe. Yeah. And uh, I was just, I just did a presentation on uh, our book recently in which I featured a quote from physicist Paul Davies and he's being, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Paul Davies, I'm sure. I'm very familiar with him. Yes. Uh, he was being interviewed by uh, Thomas Lawrence Kuhn on uh, closer to truth, a PBS series. It's a very good series. Uh, and Paul comes out and he says, it's straightforward. He says, part of the reason for the multiverse theory, the idea that, that many universes existed that have created our own, part of the reason, he says, for the multiverse was to finally get rid of God. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and so you have, and I've read in, in the research for the book that we've put together, I have read uh, physicists, Leonard Susskind, Lawrence Krauss, Sean Carroll, Stephen mm. Hawking, Stephen Weinberg, you name it. And there is a great antagonism um, toward the idea of the universe being created uh, by God, which uh, brings me to the scripture that I think is central to what we're talking about this morning. A reminder in Ephesians 6.12 from Paul, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
And when it talks about the powers of darkness, the, the Greek there is cosmo, there's the word cosmo is in yeah. the cosmic powers that are in the heavenly places. And so then Paul admonishes us to take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. It's not like we just put on our armor on Sunday and then ah, Monday through Friday, I don't need a helmet. You know, it's, it's like, no, every day is we are engaged in, in warfare uh, that come from uh, the rulers and forces in heavenly places. And we, well, I love another passage in that one, Daniel, and that's second uh, Thessalonians two eleven. It says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so mm. that they may believe what is false. And I've always taken that as to believe, well, if you don't want to believe in God and you want to you know, get into this and get into that and well, you, you can, you can do it. You know, God will let you, if you Absolutely. want to deny uh, his power and authority. And there's plenty of willing uh, spiritual beings out there to deceive you. And I found enormous parallels in ufology and particularly with the alien abduction scenario with people who claim they have encounters with ghosts, supernatural yeah. beings, even right. in third world um, environments and cultures. There's an, there are, you know, morphologically, even in the manifestations of them, there are great similarities. So yeah, if you want to go after that stuff, God says, yep, here you go. Go for it. You, you, you know, you, you, you're going to find it, but you know, you're not necessarily going to like it. Of well, it, it was all of God's grace. That's just before I became a Christian, uh, not long before I became a Christian, I had, I'm an adult convert. I had read, I was on the cusp of getting into, cause I love science fiction. Like yourself. I grew up with star Wars, uh, Luke on Tatooine, looking at binary yep. star suns, you know, that was wonderful. And, and that was inspiring. That's inspired a lot of people. Uh, Star Trek, of course, um, and then Close Encounters. I remember, like you, having that sort of as a child going, wow, this this kind of has, it seems like it has some truth to it, right? Dreyfus yeah. getting well, among the shining beings. Best science fiction always does. It's it does. It has, truth, a, yes. it has a messianic overtone to it. And I think there's always, now as a Christian looking back, you can say, it's kind of a false gospel. There, there is some truth to it. I mean, because is, isn't that what truth, false, you know, falsehoods begin with a semblance of truth, right? And and then they they build on that. But um, but like yourself, I was enthralled with 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 the science fiction, and the, the narrative there that is so ubiquitous is the idea of believing, taking science fiction for reality taking what is false or mythical and 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 believing it to to be the truth and i found this to be so powerfully communicated through the new cosmos series just on a visual level with neil degrasse tyson on neil national geographic right now and in the imagery in the book that i read by andrewian um it has a very utopian science fiction uh the, the paintings the drawings the, the language mm -hmm. Uh, reminiscent of being taken up. But but prior to becoming a Christian, I read a book that, that profoundly impacted me. It was Whitley Stryber's Communion. Oh, Communion, yes. Oh my gosh. And and yeah. I thought, at first I thought, well, aliens are crazy. Then I read Stryber and I don't, I'm like, okay, I know he's a science fiction writer, but this is compelling. And uh, I really wanted to to investigate this further. And not that I wanted to be contacted by aliens, but I just thought, well, what is that? What What's going on there? Um, and then as I became a Christian and I slowly, painfully became aware of spiritual warfare uh, and, and, and the demonic realm, I, I found uh, tremendous parallels of truth to what the scripture says about, about spiritual warfare and about demons and, and all this kind of stuff in relation to what Stryber was communicating in communion, that he was always afraid. There was always a presence of evil. There was always this horrific thing. This wasn't a good thing. 
um, it was a terrifying thing, but he said, you know, his conclusion, I think was, I read it years ago was, well, let's find out more about these things. Let's get in touch with them. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what we can do to open the doors of communication. Let's not be afraid of this. And that's, let's not run away. Yeah. Uh, I likened that in it. my book. Sorry. I, I likened that in my book to, uh, you know, perhaps they don't say please on Pleiades, but, <laughs> you know, allegedly you have these highly evolved intelligent beings that have over been, over, been overseeing mankind's evolution for millennia and yet they stealthily abduct people in the middle of the night, sodomize them, undergo all sorts of grotesque medical experiments. They put objects in their eyes and their nose. You know, the last time I watched Star Trek, you know, Bones McCoy was there with his tricorder and could tell you if you had cancer. Um, so allegedly, even though they know those things are rather deleterious to the human spirit, uh, they continue to do these grotesque, abusive, you know, rituals almost to human beings. And people like Streber excuse it. Um, you know, mm -hmm. in the movie, Alien Intrusion, I'm Asking a Deception, you might remember an interview with Dr. John Mack, mm -hmm. former Pulitzer Prize winning author, professor of Harvard Medical School, who says in an interview, and, and this is the thing, you know, in the 20 years I've been doing it, we, we've moved from the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which was the most common view that aliens were traveling in their real physical spaceships, you mm -hmm. know, visiting Earth, mm -hmm. pretty much, to be honest, only the garden variety UFO enthusiast believes that. That's what we still see in science fiction. Mm -hmm. the, the deeper ufologists today, uh, like Mac, have said we are dealing, and these were his words, we are dealing with spirit beings who should have stayed in their realm, who've crossed, a, crossed over into ours. And he used the term, you know, and they're using rape-like interventions to kind of wake us up. Well, wow. why would highly evolved beings do those types of things but right here's the point of that also is it's not just little joe christians like you and me that are saying that this is spiritual and demonic in the movie you know we showed john mack 20 right. years ago was saying this is a these are spiritual beings dr jacques valet who who uh, in the movie close encounters you mentioned that the lead investigator uh, was based upon his um, valet uh, himself yeah and uh, Nick Redfern you know the probably the most prominent UFO ufologist today has written over 40 books we featured him in the movie he even used the word uh, that they were demonic mm -hmm. and so people don't have to believe you and me this is actually what the evidence is suggesting right so both the Christian ufologists like myself and the secular ufologists today uh, in, in the main are agreeing that these beings are coming from another realm or dimension mm -hmm. that's now called the interdimensional hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So in fact, we actually all agree about the nature of it where we might disagree is in terms of its origin, where it's coming right. from right. that gets back to our ultimate worldview, what you, what you believe about where right. you came from. Yeah. Right. Um, it was interesting. I read uh, Davies uh, for my research. Of course, he's a prolific writer as much as he is a physicist. Mm. Um, probably, I, I appreciate his candor. I mean, at least he's going to come right out and say, well, here's, here's the God hypothesis. And he, he does a pretty good job of representing a, a particular Christian point of view. Of course, he doesn't accept it. But uh, of all the physicists that I've read, I appreciate his candor. But one of the things he said, he, he wrote a book on extraterrestrials. Um, I, I don't remember the title, but I do remember this particular point that he made where he's, he's asking the question, well, what kind of signal would we get from extraterrestrial intelligence trying to communicate with us? And of course, for Carl Sagan, it was, uh, it was uh, prime numbers. We would get signals 
from space that are prime numbers. That was the whole basis of his, his book, Contact. Um, it was, was the idea that uh, we should have uh, receivers that could, could detect uh, numerical pattern. Uh, Davies suggests something else. He says, uh, well, there, there would be code inside DNA. So the DNA is not code. (laughs) We should look for code inside the DNA. So the idea is it's, it's, it's incredible what we will, if we find just a a pattern of signals that represent prime numbers coming from space, we'll, 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 we'll count that as evidence of intelligence, evidence of higher intelligence. But when we look at our own DNA, when we look at our own world, when we look at our own planet, we will outrightly deny that any of this is is a, a representative of, of of God's intelligence of of any intelligent being, but yeah. it seems like between Sean Carroll, Max Tegmark, the idea that our universe is a computer simulation, or that people accepting aliens as being creators, it's what's clear, Gary. It seems to be that people are conceding this world does indeed, this world is indeed designed. They just don't want to confess that it is the design of God. Uh, of Yahweh of, of the scriptures. And so they will attribute this design to aliens or uh, a computer simulation of some kind. But, but yeah. there is that, that, that pressing sense that everybody seems to know as Romans one says, we all know that, that, yeah. that there is design in the universe. Well, a wrongly attributed quote to GK Chesterton. He didn't say it, but it's been attributed <laughs> to him, but I still like it anyway. It says that when people stop believing in God, they don't stop believing in anything. They start believing in everything. Right, right, so, right. I think that's very true. It's still true, no um, matter who said it, right? It, it is. And, you know, in this particular scenario, it, it you know, when we were, you were, talk, we were talking before about the Big Bang and you talked about multiverse and all those types of things, mm-hmm. and uh, that Davies said, you know, we can finally get rid of God. I mean, the Big Bang, you know, when I went to school, it was 5 billion years ago, and then, you know, it was 10 billion, 15, went out to 20, now we're back to about 13.7 or Mm 13.8, and there are many different versions of the Big Bang. So, one, again, it's not the science that people think it is, but one of the reasons they've resorted to things like dark matter, dark energy, multiverse, is to solve, if you like, the, the seeming problems with the Big Bang hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and so anything to salvage, if you like, a naturalistic origin for our universe, and by saving that naturalistic origin, of course, then they can resort to interdimensional beings visiting us or aliens in a highly evolved planet, you know, yeah. from a highly evolved planet or galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately gets back to um, the darkness of man's heart. Right. You know, that the fall in his heart says there is no God. But one of the more disturbing things I find about this is how many Christians also buy into this. Hmm. And in fact, I've got an article on creation.com. It's called, Did God Create Life on Other Planets? And hmm. I'd have to say out of the 12,500 articles we've had, in 40 years, 40 plus years of ministry, that is still probably the most contested article that I get from Christians. And they say, well, you can't say that God didn't create life on other planets and so on and so forth. Mm. And I've learned after many years that one of the reasons that's contested, it's the size of the universe. You know, Uh it's like, why, why would God make such a big universe just for us? But, you know, when you read the very, very first passage in the, the very first scripture in the Bible, in the, in the beginning, beginning, God, there was God. 
So he preceded the universe that he made. Therefore, if he made the universe, if you accept that point, then it can't be big to him. And nope, when we a... think of when we think of something being big, you know, I think about well, if if we wanted to travel to the edge of the Milky Way, right? It's a hundred thousand light years away. If yeah. you could travel at the speed of light, one hundred eighty-six thousand miles per second, it would take you one hundred thousand years to get there. It's remarkable. But God's already there. It doesn't <laughs> take him any time to get there. So the That's physical right. universe that you and I exist in, the space-time universe. We have to have physical matter, we have distance, we have time, we use all those factors to determine how big something is, but they do not apply to God because he was before the physical universe that he'd be made. Yeah. And he's and right now 28 billion light years across the breadth of the universe, if it's that big, yeah. um, but it doesn't take him any time. So Christians have to be careful of applying anthropomorphic qualities, those man-made qualities to an omnipotent, eternal, you know, transcendent creator. That's and right. when they do that, though, I've found that it leaves the door open. Well, maybe God did create on life on other planets. So you know what? When that little being stands at the bottom of your bedroom in the middle of the night and says, hey, I'm from the, I'm from the Pleiades and I've chosen you and you're special, <laughs> yep. nope. you've opened the door because you haven't shut the door That's to right. the idea that there is no extraterrestrial life elsewhere. You have, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine recently about this very thing um, in regards to miracles. We were having a discussion, a very lively but civil discussion about uh, how do you define and determine a miracle? And I said, well, you have to ultimately be familiar with exegeting scripture properly because in the end of time, signs and wonders will be accomplished uh, by antichrists and ultimately the antichrist mm -hmm. and uh, scripture is very clear that some of the elect even christians will can would possibly be led astray by these things and it is because of a lack of knowledge as the bible says in the old testament a lack of knowledge for a lack of knowledge my people are destroyed and we we let these footholds uh these possibilities come in and the argument that you just presented gary is very similar to what atheists would say as well uh, I've heard this objection a million times. It was actually something that C.S. Lewis objected to when he was still an atheist, is this idea of the, the, the size of the cosmos. Surely God didn't create this just for us. And if he did create it just for us, what a waste. Because what, what are you going to do with all this real estate? Why do you need all these, this stuff? It seems like a complete waste if you don't fill it with life. Well, the point of the universe was not as you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but, but was it, as Colossians says, it's in Colossians, what's the purpose of the universe? That the universe, all things have been created by Jesus and for Christ. And so the whole point of the universe, I liken it to the tower in uh, Burj Dubai, uh, the, the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in, in the world. It's not for you. Part of the glory of it is that it can be inhabited. That's part of it. But the ultimate reason for that tower is the glory of Dubai. It's not for any yeah. one particular guest in that hotel. It is for the world to look at Dubai and go look at my kingdom, right? And so the heavens, I think, are are for Christ. And so they their 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 large, their hugeness, the magnanimity, the beauty, the, the splendor, the grandeur, all point to Jesus, not to us. Well, I was going to say, you know, even though we're a scientific organization, people would be surprised that we have a very plain, forward, straightforward 
simplistic view in a way of scripture. You know, yeah. 13 times there are passages like the heavens declare the glory of God. Yes. You know, I remember years ago going on a camping trip with my family and uh, we stopped overnight in the Nullarbor Desert. It's a spance of desert that goes Ooh. from Western Australia to South Australia. And, that sounds you know, wonderful. The gas stations are about 150 kilometers apart oh, wow and we're there in our little tent and in the middle of the night and because there is no light pollution it was the first time in my oh. life i looked up and i can still remember as 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 if it was yesterday wow i literally gasped when i looked at the sky i'd never seen it before that's amazing the heavens were just ablaze with stars that's just incredible. shining bright i mean and, and amazingly, I've done some research on that. You know, when God says to Abraham, I'll make your descendants like the stars in the sky. Yes. Uh, like the grains of sand on the seashore. But you could only count about 9,000 stars with the naked eye. Yeah. And so one of the issues with science fiction and buying into that from Christians is I think there's a tendency to look up and say, you know, I wonder what else is out there. Right. When the scriptures clearly indicate what the heavens declare his glory that we should look up and go, you know, like, like David wrote, my God, yeah. what is, what is man that you are mindful of him? Right. And in that same Psalm passage, you, you said earlier, uh, Gary, and I completely agree that the universe is nothing to God. It's not like, you know, it, it's, it's, ma it's huge to us. I mean, huge, but, but, but to God, as David says in Psalm 8:3, whether this is metaphorical or literal, the implication is still the same that the sun and the moon and the stars are the work of God's fingers, as yes. if to say, well, and in Genesis 1.14, it looks like an afterthought. God creating the stars looks like, well, you know, maybe I'll put some stars in here, like a painter finishing up his painting, putting a few strokes here and yeah. there. And, and he, says, he says the stars are just for signs and seasons on, on the earth. So yes. clearly the focal point of creation is the earth. That's right. When we think about time, you know, we understand from you know, Einstein's theory of general relativity, that time um, is dependent upon your position, obviously, That's right. as the observer, and time is not a constant. So God does not exist in time. In fact, time, as you and I understand it, when God created the earth and he put a light source and the earth rotated with a light source on it, he said, there's a day. Mm -hmm. But if you and I lived on Jupiter or, or say Venus, you know, I think of a Nusian day as 230 Earth days. So right. and, uh, what uh, frame of reference do you want to pick? <laughs> well, clearly the Bible's framework right. of time is the Earth. Yeah. And, you know, I was at a conference the very first time I visited Roswell. Uh, and it was July 4 weekend, you know, when they hold the annual Roswell convention. And there was mm -hmm. this Christian UFO seminar. And I found myself sitting on there with all of these alleged theologians. And they're saying, well, I think God could have created you know, life elsewhere and so on and so forth. And here's the little dogmatic creationists saying, well, no. I said, well, what was the purpose of creation? Mm. You know, the purpose of creation was to bring forward a bride for Christ. Yeah. And if we think that there are aliens elsewhere, well, the heavens and earth that are created in Genesis 1, one, it tells us later the same heavens and earth, that means everything, the entirety of what God created, because that, that's a, a grammatical term known as a merism, mm -hmm. the beginning and the end, you know, the two opposing points, everything right. that God made has been corrupted by sin. So God's mm -hmm. got to make a new heavens and earth, do away with the old one because of what human beings did. We've corrupted God's creation. Yeah. And so that shows the enormity of 
of the sin problem that God has to restore. And that's what he's in the business of, of course, is yep. restoration. Recreation, as we call it. You know, you were camping yeah. the other day. You, the camping is a recreation, a resting, a recreation, recreating. And that is what God has to continually do. Romans 12, of course, we have to continually renew our mind. And in proclaiming the gospel, we are recreating. Uh, we are sub-creators, as Tolkien says, you know, J.R. Tolkien. We, we help in the process of God. Uh, of course, we're not God, but in the, he uses us in the process of helping people, of helping to restore others, to, to allow God to, to recreate uh, us, to, to take us from a fallen state into to a new state, uh, a, a regenerate state, a new life in Christ. Um, yeah. you know? and, and so I think I, I was just talking to my friend Wayne. We just did an episode, and we're, we're in the middle of a two-part episode on the Big Bang and the differences between the Big Bang and, uh, and, the, and the, the narrative of creation in Scripture. And uh, we were talking about the very fact that the, the narrative of Jesus himself is woven into the fabric of the cosmos. Um, because you look at what happened to the body of Jesus. It was marred uh, because of our sin. The, very, the perfect, holy son of God, who the only human being who ever fulfilled the commandments of Sinai, was marred when he came into this creation. And so you look at the body of Jesus, and I think that the heavens and the earth reflect, as, as, as Romans 1 say, says that the, the nature, the invisible attributes of God himself uh, that we can see from creation looking back as Christians, we can see that everything in the heavens and the earth point to Jesus. And so the very fabric of creation is woven through without uh, the Lord's body, the Lord's power, his, his, his glory, as the scriptures say. There's no other way, there's no other word that's, that's fitting that the glory of God, the weightiness of God is Christ Jesus and him crucified and then resurrected. And so, so as you say, you know, the whole of creation is marred, uh, but Jesus comes into that and, and takes upon himself the wounds of, of our sin and of, of the whole world. You know, well, that shows again, you know, how drastic it was that yes. the, the solution was the creator of the universe himself having to, you know, come and rescue us basically. But, you know, in what I was fleshing out there, that also answers the questions of, is there alien life? Because mm -hmm. if we say that human beings, Adam, uh, you know, the federal head of the human race, and by the way, the reason we need to be saved is not it's not what we do. It's literally because we're, you know, we're his descendants. We're born right. It's what he did. <laughs> but if, but if God created life on other planets, you know, poor old Mr. Spock is out there on the planet Vulcan and they get diseases and cancers and die because of what Adam said, mm -hmm. Adam did. They can't be saved because they're not descendants of Adam. You know, it says in Hebrews, doesn't it, that uh, it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Right. Um, Jesus is the last Adam, not the second Adam, as people mistaken. So you have all these passages that clearly show it's humanity is the focus of God's creation. Mm -hmm. um, the actions that the creator took himself were to redeem not only humans, but the universe back mm -hmm. to, and the restoration is, what are we going to be restored to? Are we going to be restored to a creation where there's millions of years of death and suffering? Or are we going to be restored back to you know, that idyllic Edenic paradise that we right. read in Genesis chapter one, where there is no death and suffering. So yeah. for God to create intelligent, sentient, and when I say intelligent, sentient, I'm not talking about microbes on Mars, but when we talk about this UFO issue, we're talking about 
potential aliens with the the knowledge and the technology to, you know, visit the earth and see the life right. on earth. Well, they're going to be able to ask those three big questions. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're self-aware in terms of asking, you know, where do we come from? Why are we here? You know, what's wrong and what's right to have them destroyed, you know, on some distant planet because of what Adam did would make God unjust. Well, and, and of course, I think that is yeah. something he's not. So it just answers the question, you know, did God create life on other planets? When you look at the purposes of creation, that it was to bring forward a bride for Christ, the implications of what Adam did universally, I think you can understand, even though the Bible is, as some people say, well, Gary, the Bible doesn't mention aliens. And I said, well, that's for a very good reason. You know, they probably don't exist. It's not an argument from silence. Right. You can make a logical deduction from scripture, I believe, about these types of things. Well, and what would, uh, you know, for me, uh, I would say that, you know, scripture is pretty clear that Jesus died once and, once and for all. Yeah. And he doesn't die over and over again. And, and so what would Jerusalem and the cross and, and uh, Good Friday and, and, and Resurrection Sunday, what would all that mean to somebody on a planet in an, the Andromeda galaxy? Uh, it, it just, it would mean, it, 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 it's not conceivable that they would, Jesus would have had to have uh, died here on this planet uh, for people who are uh, fallen, perhaps people or, or some other kind of being who are, who are, uh, uh, as you say, trying to grapple with the big questions of their own existence, because uh, it, it just seems like the earth is the central place, whether it's cosmographic centrality or more importantly, we are the center of God's attention um, because of what Jesus has done and come down to us in the person uh, of, yeah. in a body to a very specific place, a very specific time on a very specific planet. And I was like in the Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to like, uh, say, a football stadium in a and like a Jerry Jones here and, and the Cowboys here in, in Texas, you know, when Jerry, if you said something like in the beginning, Jerry Jones built AT&T stadium and seat one a, now what are you going to think about seat one a you're going to be very curious about why the giant stadium was mentioned. The huge stadium was mentioned in accordance with this one little seat, right? What's so special mm. about seat one a, well, what, why do we go from the heavens and the earth? What's the significance of earth. And this is where Jesus will reveal his love to us through yeah. what he did on a very specific place, Calvary. Well, you mentioned um, Paul Davies, of course, before, yeah. and whilst, whilst he's a very articulate and prolific writer, um, you know, I actually feel that he's, he has used that to particularly undermine the Christian faith. Yeah, I, mean, I read I agree. one book called, uh, in, you know, the, uh, the mind of God. And I thought, how is mm -hmm. it that an avowed atheist can say, or presume to understand the mind of God. Yes. But another comment he made is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I often use this in my talks and it's in my book. He said, uh, um, you know, if Jesus Christ is the creator and savior of humankind, is he the creator and savior of all sentient alien races throughout the universe? Is he, is he going to be crucified and raised again on all these other planets? Doesn't it all start to become a little ridiculous? Well, his presupposition, of course, which gets yes. back to Big Bang, life evolving countless times over, is that there are alien races out there. And he uses that to kind of, uh, you know, to mock the Christian faith. So yeah. there is a lot at stake. And we, we talked about at the beginning how this is growing. And I, you know, I've been kind of researching it for 20 plus years now. Um, you know, you don't see the UFO 
uh, sightings, you know, claims of abductions in the news. I mean, it's kind of old hat. You know, there was a woman in Miami wanting to run for the Senate, and she says, yeah, I'm a former alien abductee. And nobody even bats an eyelid anymore. But underneath the surface, because there is this widespread acceptance, because people say, yeah, well, it could or it couldn't, uh, in fact, the deception is increasing. I believe that more and more people are having... Yeah, when the movie came out two years ago, uh, I, I was interviewed on Coast to Coast. You know that show with George Nury for the second time. And uh, it was interesting because the first time he interviewed me back in 2005, he didn't know much about me. I think he got a, a, a bit you know, caught by surprise that I was able to answer all of his questions that he was trying to stumble the Christian with. Mm. He, he kind of treated me like an old friend. And it was, it was interesting. And he said one thing to me. Uh, and it really got me thinking. He said, well, Gary, he said, you know, you and I have been in this a long time. He said, uh, he said, you know how weird it is. He said, there's all sorts of weird claims. It's bizarre. He said, is there anything that takes you by surprise anymore? And I thought, wow. And I said, you know what? I said, there actually is. I said, and that is wherever I travel, wherever I speak, I said, just how many people are caught up and tied up into this phenomenon? How many people... Mm claim to have experiences and seen things and mm. you know i our minister we speak in over 300 churches a year but i'm one of the very few guys who goes and speaks on this subject it's very interesting you see a little conservative southern baptist church with its signboard tonight gary bates ufos aliens and the bible <laughs> and, <laughs> and it does bring people in yes and I it can does tell you daniel i can see them from the pulpit they're usually sat over there in a corner by themselves because they're not associating obviously with anybody else in the church and they've come along to hear what this little Christian says. And, yes. I, and I please that this is not any form of self aggrandizement. No, no, no. I understand completely, form, but, right, right. but they will often come up to me at the end and they say, you are one of the first people that I've ever heard that actually understands what happened to me. Wow. So we can have an empathetic approach as Christians because unfortunately, and, and you've probably experienced this, a lot of Christians will just say, well, it's all demonic and you know, you're demonically possessed. And right. like we showed in the movie, if you have that approach to someone, well, they're just going to turn around because you are invalidating their experience. They're going to go off to one of these UFO research centers or whatever, like MUFON, and they're going to get embraced. And they say, yeah, we've got people just like you welcome they get a, a community of acceptance they're loved but actually that should be our role in the church we should right. be trying to understand that these people are undergoing a spiritual affliction right and for goodness sake isn't that's that's in our wheelhouse that's right in the ballpark of christianity that's right and we should be the ones that should be able to say to people actually you know what i do believe you had an experience and absolutely. that's what people are saying to me when they come up to me at the end of the meetings you know absolutely uh, it's not... a great opportunity for us to, 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 to meet people where they're at by not denying what happened to them. That's right. I, I, I've read, uh, not quite as extensive as you, of course, but I, you read some of the, the accounts of a lot of people who choose to remain anonymous about what they've experienced. Uh, but there is no question that their experience is true and terrifying and real and not something that they dreamt, not something that they're imagining. Uh, and they're looking and they're craving for someone not only to understand them, but to embrace them. And I think the general fear is, you know, I wonder this myself, how many people have this experience and are so terrified, not only of the experience, but terrified of the ramifications of 
confessing these experiences to someone. Uh, well, uh, the not exactly be- something you can go and talk around the water cooler uh, right. tomorrow morning. <laughs> yes. About, hey, yes. I mean, you've taken on a spaceship and visited Pleiades <laughs> and let me, let me tell you what they did to me. <laughs> yeah. You, you just, you're not going to get, you're going to get sideways glances. You're going to get, as you say, you might get a, some people to, to dismiss you. Um, but, but I, I, I don't think that, that a lot of these people would feel like they could get a fair hearing and, and, and get, and get an empathetic ear to, to what they're going through. And, uh, and I think you're right, Gary, of course, the, the church has a wonderful opportunity to be more involved in helping people like this, because it not only is just, we're not just talking about a, the, the spiritual warfare there is, you know, there's depression, anxiety, fear, worry, and with everything else going on, um, this is just something that I think that is, as Paul says to, to us, you know, that, that we, we bear with one another with long suffering, with patience. And the greatest of these things is, is love and, you know, loving our neighbor as ourselves, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm sure there are many of us that have neighbors that are experiencing these traumatic things. Um, so well, I have to tell you, I have to tell you a funny story. Just yes, please. Because, because, because even within our own ministry, when I, when I started to venture on this and, and you, you and I were discussing before we went on air about, you know, how when we start to research this, you get more than you bargain for. Because oh, yes. I started to research it from purely a scientific point of view, that understanding, you know, when I worked for a ministry that dealt with creation evolution, that sci-fi beliefs had a very strong evolutionary foundation. And some of my scientific colleagues were kind of skeptical. And eh, I don't know if this is really periphery to what our ministry does. And then one of our speakers, this was in Australia, uh, was staying with a uh, a reverend uh, in an Anglican church in Sydney, Australia. Mm. And he took himself up to his room, uh, went to bed, woke up in the morning and the reverend said, he said, did we disturb you last night? And he said, no. He said, what? He says, oh, he said, there was a hullabaloo. He said, a neighbor over the road came banging and knocking on our door and she was distraught and almost screaming. And, and he said, why? And he said, well, he, she said that aliens had tried to abduct her from her room. <laughs> Oh my goodness! In the in the middle of the night, and so suddenly that that scientist went, "Oh my Whoa. goodness! Oh you my know, goodness! What's, what's what's going on here?" Right. And you know, when I first started to research this, as we said, I I got more than I bargained for, and I thought, well, I really, mm. I'm starting to read about people who claim they've been abducted. Is this really happening? And I took myself off to UFO conferences, and the very first UFO conference I took myself to. So you can just imagine this, you know. I'll, I'll parody myself, you know, here's the fundamentalist born again Christian <laughs> sitting in a UFO yes. conference with all of these new age believers and the Raelians, you know, that cult yes. has got their, yes. their book tables outside with their representatives. And as we're sitting there, some guy down the front goes into uh, some sort of, you know, st- yeah, to this day, I don't know whether he was hoaxing it or whether it really happened, but he mm. claimed he started channeling a message from an alien being, and it was freaky. His voice wow. changed. Wow. He started, you know, transmitting this message. And I'm sitting here in the middle of this saying, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> oh, but wow. what the thing that struck me is people were transfixed on him. They were just absorbed because think about it. For these people who abandoned traditional religion, shall we say, they're looking at him and saying, what can they tell us? You know, this is like getting a message from the future.
This concludes part one of our chat with Gary Bates. We hope you've been intrigued, informed, and excited enough to stay tuned for part two coming out next week. In part two, Gary and I discuss the wonders of science fiction and how evolution and natural selection have perhaps conditioned us to almost take it for granted that alien life exists elsewhere in the cosmos. If you're a patron of Good Heavens, you can get podcast releases a few days beforehand. Be sure to become a subscriber today. It's only $1 a month. Good Heavens is a production of Watchmen Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For more great resources on apologetics, worldviews, cults, and other world religions, visit watchmen.org today. That's watchman.org. And for more information on Gary Bates, Creation Ministries International, and Gary's book and DVD, Alien Intrusion, be sure to check out the links in the description below. If you have friends, co-workers, or family members interested in this topic, please feel free to share this podcast episode with them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Heavens. I'm Daniel Ray. <laughs>